What if you could complete your MBA in just one year? Thanks to the College of Charleston School of Business, now you can. Their accelerated MBA program condenses a traditional two-year program into one rigorous year, ensuring you not only save a year of tuition and fees, but also re-enter the workforce quickly and graduate with critical business knowledge. U.S. News & World Report recognized the College of Charleston MBA as number one in the country for its job placement rate within three months of graduation. Learn more at mba.cfc.edu. Opinions voiced in this program are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. Securities are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Good morning, and welcome to Beyond the Business, brought to you by the College of Charleston School of Business. The College of Charleston School of Business, where students are beyond ready to work, they're ready to make an impact. Each Saturday morning at 9, successful business leaders and entrepreneurs from across the Lowcountry talk about what it takes to succeed in business and in life. Now your hosts of Beyond the Business, Eric Cox and Leslie Haywood. And great Saturday morning, Lowcountry. Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Business, heard here on 94.3 WSC and simulcast on iHeartRadio. Thanks for joining us this morning. I'm one of your hosts, Eric Cox. And I am. No, you don't get a jump. No way. It's not your turn. The lovely, the talented, (laughs) the wonderful, the amazing. Now? Now. Leslie Haywood, thank you so much, Low Country, for spending your Saturday morning with us. And continue the fun beyond Saturday mornings and make sure and follow us on our Facebook page, Beyond the Business, and on Twitter at BTBCHS. And welcome to, as we said, another edition Beyond the Business, brought to you by the College of Charleston School of Business, where students are beyond ready to work. They're ready to make an impact, and we're going to hear all about that today with our guests, so that's exciting news. That is exciting. How's so, everything going for you? Oh, it's going good. Did you have good. a good Valentine's last night? Yes. Jason took superb care. Absolutely. Catered to the queen? Sure. You don't look like that's the case, but I'll talk to Jason later about that. So happy Valentine's weekend to everyone. Hope you are doing fabulous. That's right. It's President's Day weekend and it's all that. All that stuff. The kids, are, kids out are out of school. school. Yes. It's crazy. It's wonderful. And yes. we're getting ready to enter that stretch that I absolutely love about Charleston, the springtime. So, yes. Uh, awesome stuff. And, uh, you know, Leslie, as we do week in and week out, we continue to have wonderful guests come on the show and talk about their life and experiences in the entrepreneurial world, leadership world. And last week was no exception. We have Mr. Ron Magnuson from uh, the College of Charleston. He's the director of MBA and professional programs over there. Tell us a really neat story. What was a good takeaway or nugget for you last week? Well, I loved how Ron talked about the concept of persistence, but also about how too much of a good thing can be too much. Um, in negotiations, sometimes it's important to um, take a loss on something that isn't as important in order to get the things that you really feel are a top priority. So the bottom line, I think, with that was to pick your battles. And being, being persistent with everything all the time is not necessarily a good quality, and you've got to balance that out. And he was saying that what might seem like a loss at one instant will only get you a greater win later on down the road yeah i think we had a great conversation around that being persistent mm-hmm. versus knowing when to pull back and right I, we challenged him a little bit on that and so yeah. I think his insight was very important on on how to uh, deliberate through that and so again ron what a, a great show if you happen to miss that show don't sweat it simply go on our website coastalwm.com click on the radio icon and you can listen to not only ron's show but all of our shows for the last five years, hard to believe, I know. beyond the business. So, 
Guess we got to turn the page to a new guest. I know. Here, right? Who do we have today? As always, we just keep the beat rolling. And today we're excited because we have Mr. Michael Rents in the studio. Uh, Michael is the CEO and co-founder of Antimatter here in Charleston. And Michael, first of all, thanks for being here. Uh, thank you all for having me. Excited to have you. I know uh, it, Les is a little intimidating, so I, you know, just relax. <laughs> Don't so worry. Scary. She, she, she won't be so tough, hopefully, today. But uh, <laughs> we're glad you're here. And Michael, for uh, those who are listening that have no idea what antimatter is, give us a little um, insight. Yeah, sure. Thanks again for having me. Antimatter is uh, a venture building firm. Uh, traditionally referred to maybe as like venture capital except we don't have our own money you know we can go out and fundraise on behalf of startups but mainly we work with early stage companies startups to uh help them grow and become large companies and whether that's you know helping them upstream source manufacturing or do high level business strategy or finding and procuring large-scale purchase orders from the government or large corporates and then if they need funding going out and helping them fundraise so just venture building and do you focus on a specific industry niches or just across the board initially it was horizontal there wasn't a specific focus uh just early stage companies in in my network and my co-founders network now we started to become more focused in supply chain and logistics gotcha and that's exactly what i'm working on now is standing up a global accelerator in supply chain and logistics awesome well we look forward to hearing all about that as we get down the show a little bit (laughs) but of course before we go there yes before we go there we like to take things way 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 back and uh talk about kind of your upbringing so where were you born I was born in West Columbia, South West, Carolina. So you're kind of local, right? Kind of. I'm from South Carolina. From South Carolina. Good times. Now, what did your parents do and what was a family like? Brothers, sisters, all that? Yes. Yeah, so my father was a civil engineer and my mother and her family uh, are in the restaurant business in Columbia. And I have uh, basically two sisters. Uh, one is from my my mother and my father and one is a half sister from my father's first marriage now in the restaurant business does she own restaurants or work in like what is the yes so my mother's family they still own and operate 15 restaurants across the state 14 of which are in columbia and have been around since 1977 oh wow give them a shout out i know what restaurants lizard's thicket country cooking makes you good looking absolutely know it well awesome so there is some entrepreneurial spirit totally comfort food yeah yeah. that's awesome so you grew up with the the knowing that your family was from you know the entrepreneurial backgrounds yeah my dad ran had his own civil engineering firm and he worked from home so very entrepreneurial from both sides my dad's father was also an entrepreneur in a sense you know and and um and obviously my mom's parents were as well so so was a kid being around that environment on both sides of the coin, did you know absolutely one day when I get older, I'm going to be an entrepreneur or had that seed not really set in at that point? I don't think I said it that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. You know, I think I wanted to be a lot of different things. Uh, when the when the rubber hit the road, so to speak, in college, I started as a pre-med major. I think I wanted to be a doctor until I got the test the results back from my first biology test and I got a 14 out of 33 and the next day I switched to civil engineering, you know, so because I knew my dad did that and there was a job there and it could let me do what I wanted to do in college knowing I had a job and I just assumed I would run his business and like that is entrepreneurial, but um, I, I never considered myself an entrepreneur. At so, the time. so as a kid, describe what you were like. Were you into sports? Uh, what was your thing? I was into sports and you know, played baseball year round from age 13 through high school, 
you know, I'm from a, I wouldn't say I'm from the country or the city. I think I'm from the woods, really. I grew up on the river, like playing outside, riding four wheelers with my friends, uh, you know, getting into trouble and playing sports. You know, I, I, I went, my, my mother passed away when I was 13 and she was sick for a very long time. So that put like a dent, not necessarily a dent, but it, it made things different uh, yes. for us for as a family, for sure. Yeah. And so what kind of student were you around that time? I was, I was a straight A student. Straight A student? Mm. And you got in trouble? And yeah, you play yeah. sports? Mm. You sound like the I most went to public school. well-rounded you know, so, kid. <laughs> so I went to public school all the way through. And uh, yeah, and, and I have my qualms with, with public school in South Carolina. But yeah, I, my father was very, very strict and serious about school. So um, we have several guests on the show where they talk about a parent that passed away mm-hmm. at a younger age and mm-hmm. the impact of that. And so... Uh, if you don't mind, share with our listeners a little bit about you know, going through that at such a young age mm. and kind of the family dynamics and you mentally coming out the backside of that. Sure. Yeah. So my mother passed away from breast cancer when I was 13 mm. and she was diagnosed when I was around eight or nine and she beat it the first time and it went into remission and then it came back and then she passed away. So that that was tough. I mean, it's really hard to articulate it now because I think they tried to insulate and isolate me from it. Mm-hmm. Which, looking back, you know, my father is born from a small town in South Carolina and did not want my mother to, like, suffer in a hospital, so he brought the hospital bed to our house. Mm-hmm. So my mother, and we shared a bathroom, so that was maybe a little tough looking back, but I, I'm very, you know, we were resilient, certainly, as a family, and, and maybe looking back, I didn't deal with it immediately, like the 12 steps of grieving, you know, right afterward, and those things certainly manifested themselves later on in life, probably my early 20s, and at, at, at today's point, you know, obviously I can deal with it, but, um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm very, very proud of how my sister and my dad and I got through that and in the, in the entire extended family, everybody was incredibly supportive. Now going through that. So, so you got through high school and, um, obviously your grades still, even going through all of that trauma, your grades were good and college was still something that you obviously you wanted to go into pre-med. Um, is that right? Yeah. yeah. I wanted to go into pre-med. I wanted to go to Duke. I wanted to become an oncologist. And I did not get into Duke. And so I went to USC. And that was a great decision. We had just gotten Steve Spurrier. And, you know, I was a born and raised Gamecock fan from Columbia. (laughs) I was a little kid running around with, like, a Gamecock windsuit on. And and so, yeah, that seemed good enough for me. And they gave me a scholarship and admitted me to the Honors College. So I thought it made sense. Yeah. So let's talk about your time in college up there in Columbia. Mm-hmm. Um, a, it's in your backyard, right? You grew up there. Right. Um, what was your experience in, in college like? Was it, again, more on the, I'm enjoying life, freedom, and fun, or I'm, I'm about my stu- uh, studies and, and thinking about my future? Definitely my freedom and fun. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so I, so <laughs> I joined a fraternity. Uh and so that, you know, your priorities change. Uh, and as a kid, you know, I went to school and college when I was 17 and joined a fraternity and and was more curious about, like, the things I hadn't experienced yet in life. And again, you know, I switched to civil engineering because I thought there would be a job after college. And from that mindset, you know, I, I always had job security. And so in I your just, mind. I felt like yeah. I could do whatever I wanted to do. I knew that my dad would hire me. Right. <laughs> right. So I did enough to keep my scholarship. You know, all the way through my last two semesters after was my last of school. I probably over I took 23 hours in upper level civil engineering the last semester mm-hmm. while being president of the fraternity. And my my grades certainly were 
not as good because of that. But I also wasn't focused on making good grades. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. That's that's nice having job security in your mind. Right. Yes. When you got to now, what were some of the first jobs that you had in college? In college, yeah, I worked Everyone's... at Lizard's Thicket. Yeah, worked... <laughs> of course. Yeah, the summer after my freshman year, my friends and I and cousins, we worked at Lizard's Thicket on Beltline, and my cousin, my cousin Matt was the was the manager, and we had a blast. It was now, awesome. I've known Lizard's Thicket, eaten there many times, but I gotta imagine being in college with all your buddies a Friday night out. Everybody's like, let's go over to Michael's <laughs> restaurant and get soul comfort food to help us out through this Saturday. So you yeah. probably had a lot of friends. Uh, coming through right yeah probably too many <laughs> yeah it was great at the time i figured my cousin was six years older and he was old enough to like run the restaurant and you know i was 18 so he was 24 and looking back <laughs> like we were kids you know so but it worked out so as you were rounding out your collegiate undergraduate degree and career what were you thinking was the next step for you well i wanted to go to law school towards the end of my senior year you know i didn't like engineering um I was I was okay at it. You know, I was good at math, but that was because my father was an engineer and like instilled that in me, you know, and I just remember <clears throat> if I wanted to do baseball bat, you know, being like 12 or 13, probably 11 or 12, my dad made me learn Pythagorean theorem and figure out at what velocity I needed to hit the baseball out at what angle to have a home run if he wanted to buy me wow. a new bat. And that was expensive. That was $300. So I learned those things early. So I was kind of set up to be an engineer. So it wasn't that hard. Um relative because you know i've been training for it my whole life looking back but i didn't find it invigorating and i didn't i I didn't see that much longevity in it and i like people so i wanted to go to law school so i remember going home you know because i lived you know eight miles from campus and talking to my dad and saying like i think i'm gonna go to law school i'm gonna take one year off study for the lsat and try to go to law school and the next day he called me back over and said he had gotten me a job as a project engineer building the Boeing airplane hangar, you know, because this was 2010 when they were building that plant. And my dad was one of the engineers on that job. And so I was like, okay, it's a summer job, you know, prestigious with Boeing and living in Charleston. I'd lived in Charleston the summer before. I was like, I can do this, you know, so I I accepted the job and went down and was a project engineer. Now, do you feel that was maybe his way of sucking you back into the engineering when he heard that the law school law school he's like oh no 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 you i'm gonna try to reel you back in Absolutely. parents would never do things like that <laughs> leslie come on yeah, yeah without a doubt yeah and by the way in case you're wondering whose story uh, that we're listening to is that of mr michael rents and michael is a ceo and co-founder of antimatter here in charleston of course you're listening to him here on beyond the business presented by the school of business over at the college of charleston now I'm wondering is did he just not want to pay for law school or like, <laughs> no, he what? didn't end up paying for law school. He didn't pay for undergrad either. The state paid oh. for it. It was a, you know, so um no, I, I he did I know this now because he told me while in law school he doesn't like lawyers, you know, and so you know, I think his words were sharks are born swimming and you know, that was he was blunt about it. And so nobody was that supportive about me going to law school. But ultimately, uh you did go to law school. I did go to law school. Yeah, yeah. So, and everybody was pissed off. That's yeah, right. right. But I'm going in. So, so I went down to Boeing and I worked at the a project as a project engineer. Basically, I was like the lowest man on the totem pole, going around counting floor studs, which are put every six inches on center, and the buildings, you know, thirteen hundred feet long, seven hundred feet wide. So I'm walking around, literally counting floor studs in the hot sun. 21 years old in Charleston, and I remember my dad saying, when they hang this truss, you know, it's 714 foot long, it takes 18 hours to do it, it's a different high, it's not like any drug, 
or any experience or anything can replicate this. And I remember him saying that. And I remember standing under this truss as they were lifting it up and being like, man, I wish I was at the beach. And I was like, this isn't for me. Right. The high that your dad experiences is not the same high that you experienced. Right. So the the project ended after three months being in Charleston and I came back and worked for him for a few weeks. And then that wasn't going to work because his office was in the home I grew up in. And that just wasn't what I wanted. So my friends had started a music company and I had some money at the time and I started working with them on promoting concerts in Charleston. And then I ended up managing a rapper. For and going on tour with a rapper. Oh wow! And running a, mu- a music venue for like six to nine months. Oh my gosh! Can yeah. you say who? His name's Benji. He was on tour with Waka Flocka, and now he has like a a, a social media influencer marketing company in Atlanta called uh, Get Engaged Media. How cool is that? I know. <laughs> yeah. So, so the path is twist and turn and gone left and right, and then again, ultimately, it kind of yields back to what you always wanted to do, right? Right. You know, dealing, managing a rapper and being on the promotion side only like heightened my awareness of I should go to law school. And I was, you know, I just thought I was a little too smart to be on this side of the industry and was getting taken advantage of and, you know, had this, you know, sense of justice inside of me that I still do. And so I I decided very quickly I'm going to apply to law school and hadn't even taken the LSAT and got accepted. Took the LSAT and got and so into. So, what was the goal beyond all that, Michael? When you came out of law school, what is it you wanted to do with this undergrad and and uh, you know post grad experience? So, I had no idea. <laughs> you know, I just knew I didn't want to be an engineer. I didn't want to be in music. You know, and I didn't know. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew it would buy me time, and give me a chance to live in Charleston and hang out with my friends and keep people off my back you know, and let me figure that out. So I, um, my first clerkship was clerking for the district attorney of new Orleans the summer after my first year of law school. And that was an, that was the summer of 2012. And that was a huge inflection point for me as a person. You know, I got to see what I thought justice looked like. I got to see how the system was rigged against people, minorities. And at the same time, I was living outside of South Carolina for the first time by myself. I was 23. And so I, I, you know, I, I, realize what it meant to be alone. And even though you're alone, you're not lonely. And I started to really consume information and figure out what it was I believed in and what type of path I wanted to go in. So it sounds like it was a defining moment in your life. I think so, yeah. I think that summer, clerking for the DA in New Orleans, 23 years old on my own, was where I you know, I kind of figured out what my value system was going to be and you know how relentless I was going to be in pursuing that type of goal. And so once you had a little bit of clarity, what was it that you were passionate about and what path did you want to go down? At that time, yes, at I got that involved time. with mock trial. So I wanted to be a trial lawyer. I liked the idea of being able to stand toe-to-toe with like big corporations and people of power and being able to go head-to-head with them and beat them for, on, for the sake of justice. And so I got into the mock trial program. And at the same time, the dual degree program with College of Charleston School of Business, the MBA, presented itself. And, and I had had engineering and law school at this point, so I'd never taken an accounting or finance class and I still had that inner drive to maybe own my own business. So I, I knew I needed to learn those skills. So I went to business school out of necessity. And it didn't take long until I got into business school and I fell in love with business. I was good at it. I liked working with people. And that plus our first assembly, I guess is what you would call it in law school, was as a class was AA, was Alcoholics Anonymous. And I was like, that's strange. And then our first assembly for the business school was all entrepreneurs who were successful 
and had a thirst for life and happy and fulfilled. And I was like that, you know, I, I want to be happy and fulfilled. So that plus being good at business and, you know, really truly diving into that entrepreneurial spirit and being able to be creative and speak my truth really uh, rang true to me. You know, it's interesting to hear you talk about all the schooling you've been through, right? And you, know, you think people going to law school, um, the discipline that they're learning, right? The mechanics that they're learning, the degree they're getting. You go to MBA, same thing. And for you, you speak of it about the experience you had, mm. how it developed you as a human being, not necessarily just the intellect that you developed during the process. Right. And so it sounds like that was more of a process for you in cultivating who you are as a human being today necessarily than it was just gaining knowledge. Totally. And still today. You know, I'm still obsessed with figuring out like who I am and what my purpose is. And, and I try to keep that as like, I call that truth, you know, and as my highest ideal as a person to stay focused on that. But we were talking about the, the strongest attribute of the College of Charleston MBA program is the mentorship program, you know, and, and there's a very strong group of mentors in Charleston, because if you are successful in business, you either have a second home or relocate to Charleston. <laughs> and if you are successful in business, there is something about you that you can't sit still and you want to give back. And if you're not familiar with the city or you are, the first place you go to to engage with that community are the universities and colleges. And so College of Charleston naturally has that as a competitive advantage. And, you know, Eric, you can speak to that. Like the mentor program is strong. My mentor is Jim Newsom. Wow. So... Jim was one of our uh, early, early guests here on the show, too, by the way. So. <laughs> so I knew that I wanted to do business, and I noted we, they made us read the Wall Street Journal every day, and I noticed the influx of business into the South, and I was driving over the Ravenel every day looking at the container ships, and the containers put two and two together. And I said that to Jim Kinley, who was the director of our MBA program at the time. He said, you should apply to have Jim Newsom be your mentor. And I did, and... You know, by the grace of God, Jim was my mentor and taught me a lot of what I know as a person and as a man, and I'm extremely grateful to him. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. So um, as your time winds down, and I'm speaking of time, making sure we don't run out, but as your time winds down in that MBA program, had you developed the focus of, okay, here's what I'm going to do with all this education mm. now that I brought it together? Yes. So I knew I wanted to get into international business, and Jim suggested surprisingly i should look at container shipping <laughs> but first he made me go around and meet with 10 different lawyers around town to make sure that i didn't want to be a lawyer and i came back after the 10th lawyer and said okay i still don't want to be a lawyer and he said okay now we can talk shipping and he encouraged me to apply for for what's called the maersk line graduate program for the company maersk the mm -hmm. largest shipping company in the world the danish conglomerate and i got accepted i was one of 41 people around the globe the only one from north america to get accepted to the program. They moved me to North Jersey and I was supposed to do two years in North Jersey and then two years abroad in an expat. And I accepted my expat role, but antimatter had been around for a year at that point. And the day I got back to New York from going over there and looking at the job, I quit to run antimatter. And that was July, 2018. Sorry, so obviously Jim. this is a show <laughs> wow. about entrepreneurship, right? Yeah. And so where did the evolution of antimatter come in the midst of this incredible journey that you're you're, you're going How much down time do we have on this segment? <laughs> <laughs> We're down to about two minutes. <laughs> two minutes. So just, just the seed. Where did all that start? Yes, yeah. well, and then I, next I, week we'll okay. have to dive well, into that. Well, we just that. talked about all this education I had. Well, they weren't paying me well, you know, and that's okay because I traveled 200,000 miles over the two years I was there. So as any person my age, I wanted a side hustle, and Antimatter 3D is, is the name of the company 
the United States went from exporting zero plastic to the largest exporter of plastic, and I knew that. So I wanted to buy and sell plastic to make uh, some side money, and I got involved with 3D printing and supplying 3D printers with material. One of the companies we supplied was a startup, and I liked working with them, and I helped procure a government contract for them. And after that, I said, I like working with startups more than I like selling plastic. And so I reached out to the network and built my own portfolio of startups that I could help. And that's how Antimatter started. Oh, my goodness. So what was it about the the world of startups that attracted you so much? I like people that are like entrepreneurs. And the way I describe it is anyone that's willing to risk everything for something they believe in. I like those type of people. Gotcha. Well, you know we what? do too. That's why we have them here on I Beyond know, the Business, right? I know. This is awesome. <laughs> so uh, the last question before we run out of time, when you look back, and again, your whole journey was kind of, you know, your dad's wanting you to be an engineer, you're wanting to be an attorney. It's all about sort of a focus here, and it ends up in a completely opposite direction, mm. right? Um, now that you have the, the advantage of Monday morning quarterbacking and you look back at that journey, is there anything you would change about the way you went through that process? No. No, I mean, my the last part of the story is my father passed away the year that I quit my job. You know, he'd been in a wheelchair for seven seven years. He had fallen out of our boat and broken his back from the waist down. So, no, no, I mean, that's an, a story in of itself. But no, looking back, no, I feel like I'm the luckiest person in the world. I'm very, very grateful. I love Excellent. it. I Excellent. know. So, are we out of time? Yeah, we're actually there. Hard to believe. It, it runs by quick, doesn't yeah. it? So when we come back next week, what I'd like to do is is go back and, and kind of just that transition, right? As you went into entrepreneurship, and again, that seems like something that came as a side gig, now has evolved to a lot more than that, obviously. And so we want to talk a lot about your business and your philosophies, your business practices, and the success that you're having today. Totally. Thanks for being candid and thanks for sharing yes. your story. Again, we've been listening to Mr. Michael Rents, who's the CEO and co-founder of Antimatter here in Charleston. And we've been listening to him on Beyond the Business, heard here on 94.3 WSC and presented by the College of Charleston School of Business, where students are beyond ready to work. They're ready to make an impact. And make sure and follow us on Facebook and also on Twitter at BTBCHS. And again, if you happen to miss uh, last week's shows or any of our previous ones, simply go to our website at CoastalWM.com and click on that radio icon. And you can simply binge listen all day long if you'd like to (laughs) beyond the business. And until next Saturday morning, Low Country. Have a blessed week. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Business, brought to you by the College of Charleston School of Business. The College of Charleston School of Business, where students are beyond ready to work, they're ready to make an impact. Tune in next Saturday morning at 9 for Beyond the Business, hosted by Eric Cox and Leslie Haywood, and heard exclusively on News Radio 94.3 WSC. The College of Charleston School of Business is recognized among the top 30 colleges for studying business abroad by the Business Research Guide. With nine undergraduate majors, 10 minors, and six concentration areas, an honors program in business, and master's programs in business and accountancy, the College of Charleston School of Business has more than 3,000 students enrolled. Their students are ready to work, and they're ready to make an impact. For more info, visit sb.cfc.edu.